Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going through the life of Elijah, and the title of today's message is A Prophet's Battle with Depression. Uh, depression is a very real emotion, has the potential of even making God's strongest servants ineffective. As we're going to learn about uh, Elijah's battle with it, a prophet's battle with depression, 1 Kings chapter 19, we'll be looking at the first 18 verses of this chapter. Now, even Abraham Lincoln had severe, severe battles with depression. Uh, during one of those bouts, he wrote, I am now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on the earth. Uh, Edward Welch, in his book, Blame It on the Brain, has a chapter on depression. He says, when you listen to people describe their depression, you'll hear two extremes. People will report that the pain is so intense that they want to die. Others will describe an emotional numbness in which they are already dead. And sometimes you'll hear one person describe living with both extremes simultaneously. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we see Elijah, the great prophet of God, who's just battled with the, uh, the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And he says, uh, James tells us that uh, he was a man subject to like passions as we are. And in here, in this chapter, we get a glimpse of his humanity. And I think it'll help us battle the, the failure and discouragement that we often have. It shows us how, in all of that, a loving and merciful God takes care of a servant who is despondent, depressed, defeated, and commissions him or recommissions him for service. Let's follow his steps from his victory on the peak of Mount Carmel to his discouragement under a juniper tree and then to a cave on Mount Sinai where God confronts him and calls him back to effective service. In chapter 19, it begins with Queen Jezebel's reaction to what happened at Mount Carmel, verses 1 and 2. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Apparently Jezebel wasn't there at Mount Carmel, and so Ahab is rehearsing everything that had taken place. See then verse 1, all that Elijah had done. Elijah had been telling her husband Ahab what to do. And as Ahab's wife, that was her job, right? <laughs> Ahab told Jezebel how Elijah had told him to bring all the prophets of Baal and assemble all of Israel to the mountain, Mount Carmel. He told her how Elijah set up the rules for that challenge to the prophets of Baal, how they were the ones who first slayed the, the bullock and put it on the, on the altar, how they had tried and tried for their God to answer, and how Elijah had mocked them at noon how he had prayed, how God answered by fire, how the people responded in saying, by saying, the Lord, he is the God, how Elijah had ordered the prophets of Baal to be slain, and how he prayed for God to send rain, and how he outran the king's chariot to Jezreel. And as she listened, she realizes this is all about Elijah. Her husband, the king, Ahab, had done nothing. He was proving to be an embarrassment to her. Later, when he pouted because Naboth wouldn't sell him his vineyard, she's the one who moved to action and took Nabal's life as well as his land. 
So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and said, you'll be dead in 24 hours. And Elijah ran for his life. It's amazing that he could stand against Ahab, but ran when Jezebel threatened him. Let's read verses 3 and 4. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Do you ever find yourself under a juniper tree? You ask the question, how did I get here? Or more importantly, how can I get out? In this chapter, we'll see four factors that can cause depression and four steps that can lead you out of depression. Four factors that can cause depression. Depression, first of all, comes often after great victories. Think about all the miracles that Elijah has seen God do in his life in in just the short time that we've been reading about his life. He prayed for God to withhold rain because of the sinful nation, Israel, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. He saw God provide when he was fed by ravens at the brook Cherith. He moved to Zarephath where he saw, again, God miraculously provide oil and meal every day through a widow and her son. He used he was used of God to raise that widow's son from the dead. He took a stand against Obadiah and Ahab, and finally God caused the nation to recognize that he was the true God when, when Elijah called down fire from heaven. Great victories. Elijah was obviously used by God. But what's he doing now? He didn't wait for the word of the Lord as he usually did. He just figured... Uh, I, I can make my own decision on this. Jezebel's going to kill me, so I'm leaving. He didn't pray. He didn't listen for God's word. If you rely on past victories in your Christian life, you're sure to fail. You might think, well, God used me before. I've done this. I've seen these battles before. I'm all set. I don't have to worry about it. And you become overconfident in your faith. If you remember, that's what happened to Samson after three unsuccessful attempts to find his, the secret of his strength. Delilah found out about his Nazarite vow and how his hair was connected to that vow, and so she cut his hair. And we read in Judges 16.20, she said, The Philistines are be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself. And we come to one of the saddest sentences in the Bible, the end of Uh, Verse 20 of Judges 16. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. What a horrible thing to find out that your spiritual strength is gone because of disobedience. And you don't even know it. If you're resting on the victories that God has given you in the past, you're going to fail. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. The roller coaster experiences of life are normal. There will be those highs and lows. But we need to remember that God is in control on the mountaintops as well as on the, in the valleys, and he knows all about our tomorrows. And we need to depend on him today, that he can be trusted. So the first factor 
Depression often comes after great victories. So when you have a great victory in your walk with the Lord, in your spiritual walk, be on guard. Second, depression is often motivated by fear. Elijah started thinking about his own safety, his own life. Verse 2, he had Jezebel's threat, the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them tomorrow about this time. That is the life of the prophets that he had slain. But now he hears those words, thy life. And life can become very important to us. In verse 3, Elijah's response, he rose and went for his life. At the end of verse 10, he says, they seek my life to take it away. Same words at the end of verse 14, they seek my life to take it away. Watch how Elijah's fear caused him to become illogical in his reasoning. Have you ever tried to help someone who didn't want to follow any logical steps back? They didn't really want a resolution? I'm happy in my depression and my discouragement. Don't try to help me. Often they won't get any help. Here Elijah's running to save his life. And what did he do? He asked God to take his life. That doesn't make sense, does it? In verse 4, Elijah's prayer, O Lord, take away my life. That's what he was, he was concerned about. His life, his life, his life. And now he's saying, Lord, take it. For I am not better than my father's. Is death the worst thing that can happen to the Christian? Paul says no. He says to live is Christ and to die is gain. Elijah's fears were unfounded. Come to think of it, Elijah never did die, did he? He was transported to heaven by that chariot of God. Why fear death? If you focus on your fears, you'll be frustrated with discouragement, depression, and ultimate failure. Third, the third factor, depression is accompanied by self-pity. We even use the phrase today for a person who thinks everybody's against him. He's the only one that's standing uh, when we say he has an Elijah complex. Verse 22 of chapter 18, the previous chapter, Elijah said unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. Chapter 19, verse 10, I, even I, only am left. In verse 14, he tells about the children of Israel and what they've done. They've forsaken your covenant, they've thrown down your altars, they've slain your prophets with the sword, and then he says it again, I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. How many times are people alone in their depression because they want to be there? Uh, Don't try to cheer me up, I'm enjoying my misery. Elijah was not the only one serving God. And God finally let him know it in verse 18. The Lord waited until Elijah was listening. And when he could hear what God had to say, he said, I've got 7,000 people in Israel whose knees haven't bowed to Baal, whose mouths haven't kissed Baal. That was a, a practice of kissing the idol's feet to show subjection to Baal. In verses 5 through 8, we'll find Elijah asleep under a juniper tree. And we come to the fourth factor here. Depression is accentuated by physical and emotional fatigue. Verses 5 through 8. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake, bacon on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. The angel of the Lord came again. A second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, 
because thy journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto the Horeb, unto the Horeb Mount of God. You think about uh, a meal like that, we could package that and make a lot of money, couldn't we? Forty days in one meal. Well, depression accentuated here by his physical and emotional fatigue. He was exhausted. He had challenged prophets of Baal to that contest. He'd run a marathon from Carmel to Jezreel. He gets a death threat from the, from the queen, and he fled to Beersheba. Beersheba was 100, 113 miles south of Jezreel. Beersheba was the furthest city in, in the southern kingdom of Israel. Beyond Beersheba was the Negev Desert. Dan was the furthest city to the north, and so you'll see that phrase all the way through the Old Testament, from Dan to Beersheba, means all of Israel. And so Elijah is physically worn out. He's traveled 113 miles. When you're trying to help somebody who's depressed, one of the best things you can do, the first things you ought to do is say, have you been getting enough sleep? Have you been eating? Just those normal things. And we tell people, don't, don't make an important decision in your life if you're hungry, if you're angry, if you're lonely, if you're tired, a pastor put those together in an, an acronym, HALT. And so we want to make sure that your, your hunger is satisfied. Get the rest that you need. So depression often accentuated by that fatigue. Now let's see how Elijah turned the corner and had four steps back to the place where he was ready for God to use him again. Four steps that lead out of depression. Step number one Accept the provisions from a merciful God. God provided exactly what Elijah needed. This time, he doesn't call on the birds, the ravens, to feed him. He doesn't use the natural water from a brook. Or he doesn't use the supernatural supply through a widow. But he sends an angel. F.B. Meyer has a great commentary on this section. He says, a special manifestation of love was needed to convince the prophet that he was still dearly loved and to lead him to repentance. Both evening and morning he was fed. Later God will ask Elijah, now what are you doing here? Elijah was not on this journey because he was sent by God. He was going on his own. But God didn't rebuke him. God's eye followed with tender pity every step of his servant's flight across the hills of Samaria. He did not love him less than when he stood elated with victory near the burning sacrifice. And his love assumed, if possible, a more tender aspect as he stooped over him while he slept. The love of God came on Elijah as worn in body by long fatigue and in spirit by the fierce war of passion he lay and slept under the juniper tree. Meyer, after that quote, makes an application to each of his readers. He says, you have failed, and perhaps failed as Elijah did, where everyone expected you to stand, and you're ashamed, and you want to hide yourself from all who knew you when you had happier days. You've given up heart and hope, but remember, though forsaken by man, you are not forgotten by God accept the provisions of a merciful God. Perhaps you've never accepted his greatest provision, that of his sacrifice of his own son for your eternal life. Come to him. 
accept his gift of salvation. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What a merciful provision for your salvation. If you've been saved from your sin, accept his mercies that are new every morning. If you're in despair like the weeping prophet Jeremiah, do what he did. In Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 through 24, it starts, Jeremiah says, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have I hope. Is it not of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not? They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him and come to him. Remember what he's done. Accept the provision of a merciful God. Second step that leads out of depression, listen to the word of God. Look at verses 9 and 10. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it, to take it away. Elijah, all the way through his life, as we've studied so far, has been listening to the word of the Lord. Chapter 17, verse 2, the word of the Lord came, said, go to Cherith. Chapter 17, verse 8, the word of the Lord came, said, go to Zarephath, and he obeyed. Chapter 18, verse 1, God said, show yourself to Ahab, and he did. And now God asks, what doest thou here, Elijah? We see it at the end of verse 9. He'll ask it again at the end of verse 13. What are you doing here? Why are you under this juniper tree? Why have you been in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights? It's interesting that the children of Israel had wandered through that same wilderness for 40 years. One commentary says Elijah's 40 days in the wilderness was a time for the trial of faith and for exercise in humility and meekness. Then Elijah arrived at that mountain where God came down to Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. And he's asking, what doest thou here in this cave, Elijah? Elijah's in a cave of Mount Horeb. Kyle and Delich point out that there is a definite article, the cave. And they say it's identifying that same cave that Moses was in when he saw the glory of God. This mountain is called Horeb at the end of verse 8. It's also known as Mount Sinai. Again, I ask the question, are you depressed today? Are you under a juniper tree? Have you been traveling through a wilderness? Are you taking refuge in a cave? If so, it's time to do what Elijah did. Listen to God's question. What doest thou here? What are you doing there? And turn your attention on God. You're not going to accomplish anything for him if you're hiding in the caves of despondency. Listen to the word of God. Pay attention to what he has to say to you. Third, get a right view of God, verses 11 and 12. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. 
And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. Wind, earthquake, fire. This mountain had seen the fire of God before. Perhaps that's what Elijah wanted to see. One author writes, We often fall into similar mistakes. When we wish to promote a revival, we think we need large crowds, much evident impression, powerful preaching, influences comparable to the wind, the earthquake, and the fire. But God speaks in a still small voice. Again, take your Bible. Let him speak to you through the words of Scripture. Get a right view of who God is. Fourth, return to the purposes of God. Verses 13 through 18. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in, in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous or jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altar, slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go return on the way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king of Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and Abimelech, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room, or in thy place. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees of which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. And then we find in the, just the first words in verse 19, so he departed thence. In verse 15, God told Elijah, go return. Verse 19, so he departed thence. Oh, that sounds more like the Elijah that we're, we would come to know. He's the one who says, he's named after Jehovah is my God. When God speaks, he immediately obeys. The way to have victory over any discouragement and depression in your life is to get back to the task that God has for you. Elijah, you're to anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Ben-Hadad is finished. Jehu is to be anointed king over Israel. Ahab's time is about over. Anoint Elisha to be the prophet in your place. God is saying, I'm not done with you yet. There's plenty to do. Go return to the task. Carl Menninger, Menninger is a famous psychiatrist who once fielded questions from the audience in a lecture. The question was this, what advice would you give to a person as far as what they should do if they felt a nervous breakdown coming on? Most people expected him to say, consult your psychiatrist, keep them in business. To their surprise, he said, lock your house, go across the railroad tracks, Find someone in need and do something to help that person. Are you tired of sitting under a juniper tree, wandering through the deserts of life, spending your time in caves? God asks you to the same thing, do the same thing he asked Elijah. He asks, what doest thou here? 
and he's telling you to go return. God loves you. He cares for you. And he wants to continue to use you for his glory. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we're thankful for this example that we've had of a great prophet who was discouraged. And I pray that anyone who may be following that same path today will follow the advice to go return, to get back to doing what you've called us to do. I pray that you'll even help us to counsel others who are going through depression and discouragement by, by being able to refer to the points that we've found in this passage. And Lord, I pray that we'll get back to doing what you've called us to do, that we wouldn't be sidetracked with all of the things that are upsetting on a day-to-day -day basis as we live our lives here. Help us not to be confused, overly concerned, or even wanting to lay it all aside and die. I pray that we get back to doing what you've called us to do, to be busy about your business, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and under the uttermost parts of the earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.